0: Hey, my name is Eric Phillips, welcome to another episode of the PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another called the Postscript. Now, if you haven't already, check out the Postscript. Pastor and host Brandon Briscoe speaks with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. Now, in our last meeting, we discussed the topic of the flesh and how the Bible calls us to deal with our flesh we learned a key principle that you can't defeat your flesh in your own power. You need the power of Christ to overcome your flesh, and that power is primarily accessed through prayer. So if you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. Now, in this episode, I want to take a deeper dive into how to pray. Remember last time we established that your flesh is your enemy and and God's enemy. And now this is an important truth. Now, here's the part I want us to realize. Many of the same prayers that you see David pray in the Psalms regarding his enemies are great templates for how you can pray against your enemies, the world, the flesh, and Satan. In addition, the Psalms provide a great template for how to pray against the battle of sin in your own life. Now, there are too many Psalms to cover in just a few episodes, but I want us to cover a few that stand out. And so today we're going to examine Psalm 38 as it relates to the battle against sin and how to deal with the weight of sin in your own life. One of the things that you notice pretty quickly in reading this psalm is that David had a strong awareness of his own sin. Let's look at Psalm 38, verse 3. There is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. For I will declare mine iniquity, I will be sorry for my sin. He says that in verse 18. So it's probably good for us to stop and consider the doctrine of sin. You sin because you have a sin nature that you inherited from Adam. Romans 5.12, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. And because you inherited a sin nature from Adam, you sin. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible makes it clear that the consequence of sin is death. Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And that same verse gives you the solution for your sin. Jesus Christ, the second part of that verse, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Over in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, it gives you the key to accepting the gift of salvation. Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So all you need to do to accept Christ is recognize that you are a sinner that deserves hell for your sin and then call on the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin and to be Lord of your life. And in doing so, the Bible says that you pass from death to life. And once you've accepted Christ, the Bible says you now have a new nature. Second Corinthians 517, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. It's important to remember, though, that you still have that old sin nature that you have to deal with. Romans 13, 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And Paul is speaking to Christians here when he says, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Did you notice that after you accept Christ, the lust is still present? Make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Galatians five sixteen. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there's still a sin nature that has to be mortified or put to death. Romans 8, 13. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now with that in mind, I want to go back to Psalm 38 and see what principles we can extract from it on how to pray about our struggles with sin. Doctrinally, we understand that David was not sealed by the Holy Spirit and was not, at the time of writing this, a new creature in Christ. That said, the passage still has devotional application for New Testament believers in terms of how to pray with regard to sin. So in this passage, David is responding to the weight and consequences of sin in his own life. So the first principle that we can take away from this passage is that you must talk to God daily about your sin and its consequences. The typical response for many believers is to hide and avoid God, especially when they're dealing with the problems of sin in their own life. But that's not what David is doing here. In this passage, David actually invites God into his struggles by talking to God about them and about how he's feeling. And granted, God already knows how David is feeling, but David's willingness to tell God about his struggles demonstrates trust and intimacy. So if you're struggling with sin, the wrong thing to do is ignore God and distance yourself from him. Rather, you need to tell God about what you're feeling and experiencing because he wants to hear about it. First Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So all your care. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So let's read the first few verses of Psalm 38 and hear how David cries out to God. Psalm 38, verse 1, a Psalm of David to bring to remembrance. O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows stick fast in me and thy hand presseth me sore. Verse three, there is no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. So you see here that David is able to acknowledge and own up to his own sin while also recognizing God's hand of chastening in his life. Now, the key is, is that this drives him to seek God in prayer. So he doesn't get angry and stop talking to God. He prays to God about what he's experiencing. You see that? Now let's keep reading. Verse four, for mine iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long for my loins are filled with a loathsome disease and there's no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of the disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee and my groaning is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me. As for the light of mine eyes, it is also gone from me. So the thing that I want you to realize is the idea that you can't talk to God about how you are feeling is a lie. You absolutely can. So get this down. And this is the next key principle. It is not the selfish son, but the wise son that carries his cares to God. The selfish son purposes to handle it himself and does not invite God in. So the key is that as you pour your heart out to God, you have to also open yourself up to hear God's response. So you pray and you say, God, here's how I'm feeling. Here's what's happening in my life. Here's what's going on. Here are the consequences that I'm dealing with. So you acknowledge where you're at while also humbling yourself to receive whatever God will say to you. And so the next key principle as we move into this next section is you also need to talk to God when you feel all others have abandoned you and are against you. So look at verse 11. Psalm 38, verse 11. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me. And they that seek my hurt speak mischievous things and imagine deceits all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not. And I was as a dumb man that opened not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not and in whose mouth are no reproofs. So David is able to acknowledge that the people who were supposed to be there were not there for him. And, you know, Paul had that happen to him. Second Timothy 4:16. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge. Verse 17, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by me, the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So the key once again is turning to God and inviting God into your struggle. The temptation when we go through difficult times is to view God as our enemy But God is not our enemy. He is our loving father that will correct us and chasten us because he loves us. So now let's move into this last section, because I want you to see that a shift occurs. Okay, so David's been acknowledging his circumstances. He's he's owning his sin and he's acknowledging that 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 other people aren't there for him. But because he's crying out to God, prayer is the thing that God uses to change us. Okay, and you can see this shift occur as we get into verse 15. Psalm 38, verse 15, for in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O my Lord. For I said, hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin, but mine enemies are lively and they are strong. And they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So see, there was a shift that took place in those final verses. David goes from heaviness, sorrow, and despair to a more calm state. His circumstances have not changed, but his perspective changed. The enemies are still there and the problems are still there, but there is a deeper degree of resolve. And you see him make some definite declarations. He says, in thee, O Lord, do I hope? That's a, de- that's a decision that he's made, a definite declaration. I will declare my iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. So I've decided that I'm going to own my sin and I'm not going to blame anyone else. And then he concludes that he still needs help, but recognizes that that help can only come from God, because what does he say? He says, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Now listen to what F.B. Meyer had to say about this passage. F.B. Meyer says in Psalm thirty-eight, fifteen, the tone becomes calmer. The soul begins to recover its center of gravity in God. Notice the fourfold repetition of four in Psalm 38, 15 through 18. And so faith marshals her arguments. Out of stony griefs she builds Bethel's. Like Samson, she finds honey in the lion's carcass. But God will not forsake. He never for a moment withdraws his close attention. The refiner sits by the crucible and will cool down the heat the moment it has done its work. And that's where we're going to leave it for this episode. Tune back in to the next episode where we'll continue to examine another psalm on how to pray in the battle against sin. Until then, take care.